This is episode 31 with actor and professional speaking coach Megan Hamilton. This is Pencil Leadership. My name is Chris Anderson. And finally realizing my master's degree only taught me so much, I decided to start on a journey to learn more about what it truly means to be a pencil leader and how we can leave a positive mark on people and the world around us. So each week, I'm going to bring you a topic or a guest that will help guide us on our way to grow and leave a positive mark wherever we go. So if you're ready, take out your pencils and let's begin. Macon Hamilton is a public speaking coach for people with speaking anxiety. So her background was she was classically trained as an actor and that helped her develop her public speaking system that she now helps people control their nerves and and use more powerful voice and to stand tall and confidently while speaking to others. So we're super excited, Megan, to have you on the show today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. No problem. So I'm now I'm I'm a little nervous because I'm talking to uh, a speak a speech coach, and so uh, but no, super I'm just excited. making notes for you for later. I hope perfect. That that's okay, perfect, absolutely, yeah. Help me improve. I need it for sure. So um, yeah, I guess tell us a little bit about what got you into being a public speaking coach. Sure. So as you mentioned, I went to theater school and, uh, you know, learned all the classical skills for for theater and acting. And then from there, I uh, actually took a turn and became a musician. So I started to write my own stuff and perform it and record it. And then I was working at a university and uh, in a law school and the kids were doing these, these competitions. And I said, who's coaching them? Like who's helping them with their presentation skills? Because obviously they have all the coaching they need for, you know, legal scholarship and everything uh, to get their their presentations ready. But who's helping them actually say this stuff? And they were like, "Uh, nobody. I was like, oh. And I suddenly I got really excited about that. And I thought, you know, because when we were in theater school, we would talk about like everybody should know the stuff that we're learning, like mm. how to speak up, how to have a strong and confident voice. So I started to put something together and I pitched it to them and they were really into it. So that's how that started. And that was about six or seven years ago now. Wow. And then I would notice that I felt elated after working with the students. And it was so satisfying to see them go through this process and see sort of how developing a system for doing something that's really hard and how that helps you. Mm. It made me feel so good. And I thought, I really want to do this like, as like for real. (laughs) So I started putting everything together, got it, um, you know, made my website, got all of my materials organized. And then I launched my business, uh, two or three years ago now, I'm trying to remember the exact date. I find this pandemic is making me forget where I exist in time yes. and when things happen. Anyway, um, so that's when I launched UBU Skills. And the UBU stands for, uh, it's a short form for UBU. So essentially mm. what I'm doing is I want to help UBU in the best way possible. So I'm not looking to change how you are or make you speak in a fake way that doesn't reflect you or your values. Yeah. It's really important that people feel comfortable as themselves, but but really know how to express themselves well. 
And then I've just been building and building ever since. And I've been working with tons of people and it's, it's, it, like, I know that it makes their lives better. And, and, and I feel very confident about that, but it really makes my life better too. Oh, it yeah. makes me so happy to work with people. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> so that's, yeah. That's, that's how it all started. That's cool. And I know like I would, I don't know officially, but I would say that public speaking or speaking in front of people is one of like more of the top fears that are out there. Do you find oh, that a yeah. lot of people have that fear? Yeah. I think like the percentage is very, very high. Yeah. Um, and in fact, you know, even I, I have worked with clients who don't have the fear of speaking in public. That's not what their fear is. Okay. One guy, um, was a CFO of a really big tech firm in Canada. And he, he said, I'm fine to get up in front of a thousand people and just talk to them. Mm-hmm. But when I have to give a speech, I freeze up huh. that I sound like a robot. I can hear myself sounding like a robot. And that's when I go into sort of panic mode. So that was really interesting as well. Yeah. So some people don't, it's not the actual amount of people in front of them. It's, it's how they're delivering what they're trying to deliver that freaks them out. But just about everybody has a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just a bit or a lot yeah. of anxiety if they have to speak. And like this goes from work meetings, you know, like standing up in front of your team of five and delivering mm-hmm. something that's difficult to delivering at a conference or a TED talk or anything. Yeah. You know, um, everybody's levels are different, but it all ends up being really similar. Yeah. And it's crazy. Like, so personally, when I was in middle school, I still remember one year, my, my eighth grade year, I think it was, we, we would do popcorn reading in English and the day, uh, so basically someone reads and then they choose someone to read next in the book. Okay. And, uh, and I, I would start getting like cold sweat. Like I, and I knew I was going to get called on. Uh, and so the day came and I got called on and I knew I couldn't do it. Like I thought I was going to pass out. So I raised my hand. And I said, uh, can I go to the restroom uh, real quick? Sorry. I don't like stomach. I don't feel good real quick. And so I stayed in the restroom the whole class period. Aww. Like it was that bad. Like, I don't, something in my mind just was not letting me speak. Like I would stop breathing, like forget to breathe. So I just would read and I'd get lightheaded. And I still remember the principal came into the bathroom and said, Hey, uh, they told me you're still in here. Just making sure you're okay. And I was like, Oh yeah, it's just oh. one of those times, you know, <laughs> I, I remember that. after that year I went to do drama and I went to do choir and, and then talking to people wasn't that big issue. It was just that one year and it, it was the weirdest thing. And I couldn't explain why. I mean, yeah, there's, there's so many things that happen to people in their lives that, that mm-hmm. make them panic about this stuff often I thought you were going to say that like a teacher gave you a weird note and then that just stuck with you and you thought this is how I am like I can't get past this um a lot of people have like teacher stories and like the teachers would never realize the impact that their (laughs) one tiny little comment would have had on somebody um but but you know it's great that you were able to overcome that because a lot Mm -hmm. of people especially grade seven and eight which is I think sort of the time frame you were talking about yeah. mm-hmm. that's a really um that's a really anxiety laced time for people anyway and so yeah. if you do have a bad experience getting up or you feel embarrassed or you've got a bully in the class that you know mm-hmm. is just going to bug you about it afterwards that can set the tone for how you feel about yourself as a speaker and so like you know 
sometimes I work with people in their 50s or 60s and they've got to get up and give a speech for the first time in a long time. And, you know, they're petrified and they may not even remember why, like what sparked them feeling like they couldn't do it or like um, they weren't very good at it or, you know, people's voices change. All kinds of things happen to you when you get up and speak. And, you know, like you were saying, you were sweating. That's a really big one. Blushing. Yeah. Shaking hands, shaking legs. Some people feel like their knees are about to buckle and give out on them. The brain's completely one one woman referred to me, uh, referred to it as it's like I lose my frontal lobe, it's just gone. <laughs> like I have no access to it anymore. And so all of these things happen to you. Yeah. And uh, you know, if you don't have an opportunity like you did to learn that you, mm-hmm. you know, you can develop systems or or use um different techniques then the longer it goes, the more scary it gets. And then when you actually have to, you know, give a speech at somebody's wedding or, you know, deliver a presentation at work or any of these things, like it can feel really bad. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and you're not sure. sure how you're going to get over it. Yeah. So I guess how could someone start if they know they have that fear to start to change that, to get out of that fear almost? What would you suggest? One of the things that I do when I'm working with one-on-one and clients, because it's harder to do that kind of work in a, in a group mm. workshop, um, because you are dealing with, you know, often really old uh, emotions or fears, and people aren't necessarily inclined to talk about that with their yeah. workmates or whoever else is in the workshop. We go back and we try to think, okay, when it, what's your earliest memory of getting up in front of people? And, and almost immediately, they'll have an anecdote or something they can remember. Somebody said something to them. Um, a teacher said something. They were in class. Just like you, you had an instant memory of, of like a bad feeling related to it. Yep. So we sort of go back there. We talk about that a little bit. I'm not a therapist. So if there's like, if there's extensive stuff, then I, I, certainly suggest to people that they, it may be something they want to work on Yeah, with somebody who's trained in that regard. But even just going back and unpacking that and starting to understand where that's coming from is mm. helpful. And then we just start working on the systems. And so the place that I start is with controlled breathing. Okay. Controlled breathing is when you decide how long you're going to breathe in, whether or not you're going to hold your breath, and how long you're going to breathe out. It's as simple as that. It can be anything. And you can go, there's a really popular GIF a few years ago, which was sort of like this, um, you know, it was black and white. And it was like this little shape that opened up and you're supposed to breathe in as it was going like Uh this and breathe out as it was going like that. And that made the rounds. That's, That's a really great one. So you are following along with the GIF and controlling your breathing instead of letting your breathing sort of control you, which is what ends up happening when you get into a, a bad stress response. Yeah. So what I like to say with controlled breathing is to start with, um, you breathe in for three, you hold for three, and you double it and breathe out for six. Okay. You do that for a few rounds, and then you can move up to four, four, and eight. That's a good place to start. And then eventually you want to get up to five, five, and 10, and even all the way up to seven, seven, and 14 when you get really good at it. Okay. And what you're doing when you're control, controlling your breathing is you're sending a response, a, a signal to your brain that you're not in fight, flight, or freeze mode, which is mm. our stress response, right? And yeah. that's when yep. all these things start happening to our body. So 
the brain gets the signal that something's wrong and we need to like figure this out. And so it'll start pumping cortisol and adrenaline into your bloodstream, right? And that's when you start to have these feelings, your heart's racing, sweating, blushing is a really big deal for some people. Um, you feel shaky in the knees, you lose your ability to focus, uh, and you can feel your breath up in here. And you, you know, extreme cases, you might start to panic. Yeah. And there's so many studies. There's a really good Forbes one that I that I use in my materials that explains that simply controlling your breathing is like it's like you're writing a note to your brain going, I'm good. Yep. It's cool. You can stop this. And you can start to feel it happening. It will calm you down. It gets you to a place where you can concentrate and focus. And it's not right away. This is a muscle that you that you work on and that you flex when you right. need to. So it's not like you can just suddenly, for the first time ever, go in a bathroom stall before giving a work presentation and you're going to be cool and get up there and be like totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's, something you have, it's something you practice. Right. And the great thing about it as well is you start having a memory, your, your, your body starts having a memory of what's happening. So when you practice controlled breathing, as soon as you start to practice it again, if you've been doing it over time, your body's like, oh yeah, I know what this is. Yep. You actually cut your response time down as well. So you're, you're, if you are starting to go into fight or flight mode, your brain will stop the cortisol and the adrenaline more quickly. And so it's one of those things I advocate doing two minutes in the morning and two minutes in the evening, just to practice, to keep it in practice and to make yourself be mindful of that as, um, as, as a method of, of keeping in control of staying calm. Yeah, I think that's great. And cause I actually hear a lot of people talk about breathing practices, whether, uh, just in general stress, whether it be, uh, just like mindset, like trying to control mindset. Um, getting in good routines. So yeah, even with becoming better at public speaking with the stress, being able to do that. So, so I love that first one there. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. So is there more in that system besides the breathing that you would, you tell people to kind of start working on after the, the breathing part? Totally. So, you know, the controlled breathing works in twofold. It helps to calm your brain, but it also helps to support your voice. Okay. So, as you're taking sort of deep and controlled breath, the idea is that you're deepening your breath as you, as you, you know, keep extending your breathing time. And so you want to be opening up your rib cage and breathing lower into your belly. Okay. And what you're doing with that is that you're opening up, you're stretching out your intercostal muscles, which are the little muscles uh, between your ribs. Yep. You are extending downward so that you're, um, working into your diaphragm and most of us have heard of diaphragmatic breathing mm -hmm. or using your diaphragm to speak and you're opening up as well your back ribs which we often forget about so we'll have like a really tense back and we'll like open up our front but the back can open up as well and so what that does is it allows you to take deeper breaths so that you can have more support vocally and so okay. you know my um my system is standing, breathing, speaking, and reading. So we begin with breathing, but before that, we actually have to talk about standing. Okay. So I use something called the Alexander Technique, which has been around since the late 1800s. And uh, there's been a ton of research on that as well that, that is 
easily accessible by a Google search. I also have lots of research on that on my website. But Alexander technique is essentially a way of standing that causes a minimal amount of stress on your body and and decreases injury over time as well. It's also an open and confident way of standing. So without uh, you know negating like all the years of training, it's very, very simply, it's like if you've ever done yoga, it's really similar to mountain pose. Okay. And so you're sort of standing with your feet hip width apart. You feel your feet melting into the ground. You work up to your knees. You make sure everything's unlocked. You go on up to your hips. You unlock them with a slight pelvic tilt. Mm -hmm. You move on up to your chest. You open it up and you feel it going towards the ceiling. You release your shoulders. So often we've heard of good posture that you throw your shoulders back. But in fact, when you're doing that, you can mess around with your musculature. If you are doing a certain activity over time, your muscles will respond to that and sort of re organize. Yep. So if you're throwing your shoulders back, your muscles will eventually do that, but you're causing stress on other parts of your body. What you want to do is stand sort of as naturally and beneficially as possible. So instead of throwing your shoulders back, what you want to do is open up your chest and release your shoulders so that they can hang. Yeah, I can see you doing it there. Yeah. <laughs> and you feel your shoulder blades moving slightly away from each other. Yeah. And from there, you want to let your neck be free and easy. So how many times have you done this before and felt that crunch? Yeah, too many. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we sit at computers all day long, and especially now. Yep. <laughs> and so, you know, releasing your neck and just allowing your head to be a little bit more free and easy can help alleviate a lot of the tension that we get up here. And then you want to focus on the top of your head and feel it moving towards the ceiling. And so it's a, um, we're sitting right now, but, and mm -hmm. you can do it with, while you're sitting as well. It's a little bit of an adjustment. But if you're standing in Alexander, you're connected to the ground, but you're also working up towards the ceiling. And so it's an active way of standing that keeps you nice and open and energized. Okay. Yeah. As opposed to, and, and that's another reason why it's great for when you're sitting is how many times have you sort of like, Slouched in, yeah. Sat back in a Zoom meeting yeah. and then you're tired and you lose your energy. But with Alexander, you are sort of actively using your body and it keeps you nice and focused and energized. Awesome. Yeah, I love yeah. that. And I, I, I kind of, so I had back surgery about 10 years ago for a fusion. And so like slouching kind of like irritates a little bit. So like I, mm -hmm. I got to the point where like I knew I needed to kind of stand and maybe not exactly like that posture, but a little bit closer than than I was before the surgery because it, it kind of forced me to. And so, yeah, I definitely noticed a difference when I'm, when I'm upright and like kind of stretching for or stretching upwards rather than like just crunch slouching over and stuff. So. Yeah. You should really look into Alexander. Yeah, I think I, that, yeah. I'm happy I wrote that down. I'll have to too. for sure. It's great. A lot of symphony orchestras um, use Alexander coaches to help them, um, you know, you can imagine that playing violin over time would have an effect on your body, piano, mm. even all, all the yep. different instruments. Alexander coaches come in and sort of teach you um, a better way of carrying your body while you're while you're mastering an instrument. Awesome. That's yeah, I'll definitely have to look into that for sure, especially with sitting so much and just carrying yourself better. So that goes to your you you're standing. So the Alexander technique, you're breathing. So the control, yeah. lower belly breathing. 
Yeah. And then you get into the, the, the nervous part people have is the speaking and the reading. Yeah. <laughs> so this will so be good. Yeah. You've set yourself up there. You're standing, you're breathing, you're opening yourself up. You're giving yourself nice, deep breaths to support a resonant voice. And then you learn how to find your optimum pitch. Mm. And there's lots of different ways of doing that. But essentially what you're doing is you're learning how to create sound in your body, how to manipulate it. So sound comes up and it reverberates around all the hard surfaces. So your cheekbones, uh, you know, uh, into your nasal cavities, your chest, your back. And what you want to do is find the most comfortable position for you to make sound. And that ends up being what we call the optimum pitch. So it's optimum, the least amount of harm on your, on your voice uh, and the most resonant sound you can make. So, you know, when I'm coaching people, it's, it's an ongoing process as well, but essentially you're sort of figuring out how to make sound using, so you're pushing sound up from your diaphragm. Okay. A lot of people talk in their throat. <clears throat> and when you start speaking from your throat, you're creating a lot of tension. So that can cause jaw tension. It can cause shoulder tension. It can cause hmm. neck tension. It all interrelates. Yeah. When you're standing in a more open position and you're sending sound up from your diaphragm, what you're doing is allowing this section to remain free so it's not closing up and getting tense and informing everything else. Gotcha. So diaphragmatic breathing is that your diaphragm is sort of at the bottom of your rib cage. It's like this little band of, of, um, I like to think of it. Yeah. Tissue. It's like a trampoline. Yeah. Right. And so if you imagine it that way and you sort of imagine jumping sound up through you, then you're, you're, you're uh, creating sound from the right place. Okay. And if you, you can sort of feel what happens if you decide to speak through your throat, which is just sort of what I did there. Uh-huh. We do that when we're stressed. It's sort of an easy way to give a volume boost if you need to. But it really does damage over time. So we, recently I worked with a prof and she was finding that when she had two three-hour classes in a row, she, her voice would be shot by the end of it. She was trying to figure out what was happening. And what was happening is she just didn't know how to speak properly. And so she was speaking from here the whole time, creating all this tension up here, which again, yeah. all of your muscles inform all of your mu- other muscles, right? Mm-hmm. We we went through that and we learned how to stand properly, how to breathe, and then how to speak. And then, mm. you know, I recently touched base with her, and it's been making a big difference. That's awesome. Awesome. I love to yeah. know. Absolutely. People are are finding yeah. And so, I've noticed with that to to sorry to interrupt, but like yeah, I'm especially when I am told to like project or talk louder, mm. like I can't I can't do it very long because my throat starts hurting and I lose my voice. Um, yep. and so uh, obviously it's from throat talking through the throat instead of through the diaphragm. So that's interesting. I wondered, I was I'm like, well, I just can't talk loud. That's just, I'm not able to talk loud you know, without my throat <laughs> getting all messed up. So, and that's what a lot of people think. They think, oh, that's just what happens. Of right. course, you're going to lose your voice if you've been speaking for a long period of time. And it's not true. I mean, there's Mm. so many ways that you can take care of your voice. Speaking for six hours in a day is a lot of speaking, even for people who are, who are trained. 
Right. And there's, there's ways to mitigate that too. So uh, zinc lozenges, for example, okay. I don't know if you've ever used those before. People I often use them in the, okay. In the winter too. Um, they can help with the sore throat. You can just get them at the drugstore. Yeah. Um, there's some bacteria they're supposed to kill. So it can help mm. from, um, it's supposed to be able to help you from getting uh, certain cold viruses. But what it also does uh, a zinc lozenge is it reduces inflammation in your throat. So if you've okay. been speaking for a really long time, what happens is your vocal cords start to get a bit uh, inflamed. Mm-hmm. And so they get red, they get puffy, right? And you can imagine um, like if you had two cups and you were sort of, they constantly had to, to go together, it just gets worse and worse, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And eventually, worst case scenario, you get laryngitis, which is I've had a ton of students Ugh. develop laryngitis as they're preparing for their um, for the competitions. Yeah. So zinc is going to reduce the inflammation, and then you you follow that up with something called a slippery elm lozenge, and that's the yeah. kind of thing you get from a health food store. Nice. By the way, these both of these taste pretty gross. They're not, they're not enjoyable, but if you value your voice and you want to be able to keep speaking, they're excellent. And, you know, I always say, make sure you read the package um, for contraindications. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes certain medication has a bad reaction with, with uh, both of these, especially if you're taking zinc, make sure you eat ahead of time. I don't know if you've ever taken a vitamin when you haven't had your breakfast Yep, (laughs) and you're like, I feel like I'm in a bar. What's going yep. on right now? Yeah. Yeah. Zinc, zinc is really bad for that. Okay. So make sure you eat, make sure you read the, the labels. Both of them are, I mean, they're, they're pretty innocuous. They're very safe. Uh, but, but it is important to read that stuff. For sure. So, yeah. So if you, if you're finding that you're losing your voice, obviously, you know, these, uh, this system and these techniques are really helpful, but just even to get over, if you're at the point where you're losing your voice, you probably need to do a little bit of damage control. And that would be zinc and slippery elm just to, just to get through until you are able to sort of speak more properly. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. I always wondered cause I'm like, man, I can't, if I'm trying to talk loud. It just, it just shoots my voice so quickly. I was like, well, so that's good yeah. to know zinc and uh, slippery elm. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. So is reading different than speaking or is it the same kind of techniques? I know that's your fourth part is the reading part, but. That's right. So once you've figured out your optimum pitch, then we move on to reading. So I'll, I'll, I'll track back to that person I was, the CFO I was telling you about, mm, yeah. who said that he was great to get up and speak in front of the crowd, but when he had to read, mm. he was not confident. So okay. he felt like he sounded like a robot. It didn't feel natural to him. Yeah. And most of us can relate to that to a certain mm-hmm. degree. But if you know how to read well, it's acting more effective than sort of just riffing in front of a crowd. Okay. So I've seen people who are really engaging, confident speakers that get up and just sort sort of speak from the cuff. But eventually I'm finding they're wasting my time because they haven't properly created or crafted a speech. Okay. So unless you're answering questions, if you're getting up and presenting information to me, I really want you to not waste my time. And I want you to come up with a concise and clear way of delivering that. And then the trick to that is practice, but mm. also understanding how to read it well. 
So the first thing you want to do is mark up your text. And this is this part is called text mapping. Okay. So you want to put um, what I call a breath bar, and it sort of looks like it's like your your basic backslash. Okay. Every period and every sentence, and also at every comma. And what you're going to do is take a breath at each of those points. There's okay. two types of breaths that you're going to be taking. A period is going to be a full breath. And what that allows you to do is take a quick pause, which also allows your audience to be able to digest what you've just said. But you're also going to take top-up breaths at the other punctuation points. So like commas, semicolons. What you're doing there is you're taking a very mini break, but also making sure that you have enough air to get you to the end of the sentence. Mm. So if you've got a really long sentence, We've all heard it before where somebody notices that they're running out of breath that they're <laughs> yeah. sentence, and they yeah. don't want to take a breath. Yep. So they're just going to keep going. And then you lose the last three words of the sentence. Yep. And we also respond sort of physically when that's happening to people. So we get like yeah. feeling like we're out of breath too. And then yeah. everyone's sort of a bit out of sorts. <laughs> so what it allows you to do is have a nice, deep, strong voice for the end of your sentence which is really important because it's usually the summary of everything you've just said. Mm. The end of your sentence is a really important part of the sentence. But the cool thing is you're also controlling where you're breathing. Okay. And what we already know about that is that that helps to keep you calm and focused. Mm. Right? Yep. So you've decided where you're taking your breath, you're following along, and you're also keeping, keeping yourself nice and calm as you go through that. Awesome. So it's really effective way of, 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 you know, reading in front of a crowd. Yeah. And then I go, I have a free public speaking guide um, oh, nice. that goes into more detail about this. And it, there's lots of different ways of, of mapping and sort of being able to, uh, you know, you learn how to read three to seven words ahead of what you're saying. And that allows you to look mm. up and connect with eye contact to the crowd. And there's other sort of tips and tricks to that. But basically, that's the, the that's a really key part is figuring out how you're going to break it up and where you're going to take your breath and it keeps you paced. That's good. I, yeah, I've definitely, I've definitely noticed when I've gotten up to speak uh, and I'm not necessarily thinking about when I'm going to breathe. I'll forget to breathe at a punctuation mark or whatever, and I'll get going and I'm like, uh, and I was like, it, it hurries. And then I'm like, sure. Breath kind of, so I'm trying to take a big breath after and it just throws everything off and it totally, yeah, the excitement and not the practice of doing it correctly. So I, that was made me laugh because I've done it. I've done it many times. We've all do it. I still yeah. do it. Like yeah. I still go and I, you know, I'll be in the middle of something, um, recording a, a podcast like this. And I suddenly I'm like, Oh, I feel like what's going on. I'm like, okay. Nothing. Yeah. You're literally talking about breathing. Yeah. It's time for you to also breathe. <laughs> right. Like I have to keep reminding myself. Yeah. So do you, do you find that, um, I guess the process is I'm, it's probably different for everybody, but being able to change their breathing and their speaking to be more proper, to be more uh, efficient, like from the diaphragm instead of throat. Is that a hard process for a lot of people or do you find it's an easier switch? Uh, you know, everyone's really different. And so I worked with somebody who had uh, done a lot of rugby. Okay. And so he had like a lot of tension in his shoulders yeah, and then his neck. 
And so he found the breathing really difficult because it hurt to open up everything. You know, when you're when your muscles have sort of reformed to be a certain way and you're opening it up. And plus there'd be a lot of stress in there, sort of sports related stress. Yeah. Um, he found that really difficult. One of the cool things we we did actually was um, and again, this is this is in more detail in that in that guide I was telling you about, but sure. there's this tongue exercise you can do, and you hmm. might find this useful for uh for your podcasting. But we spend a lot of time you know, doing yoga, or if you go for a run, you're going to stretch out your muscles. But we talk a lot, and your tongue is a muscle. Yeah. And we almost never stretch out our tongue. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and your tongue goes like down to here, right? Yeah. It goes back to your throat. And so you can imagine that it also interconnects and has a relationship mm. with your neck muscles, which have a relationship with your shoulder muscles, yep. and all through your back and all the different musculature in there, including your jaw. Right. So I have this tongue stretching exercise and it really hurts. <laughs> it's um, if you have TMJ or uh. any sort of jaw related issues, you've got to be really careful when you do it. But we did that exercise. And, and for him, I think what happened was it opened up a whole like ton of different muscles that he hadn't really, that were like tight. And it also allowed his mouth to free up so that he could huh. speak more crisply and precisely, yep. which is, you know, the, uh, that's why we would do the tongue exercise to begin with is to have more malleability in your mouth and be able to speak really, really well. But he was like, I think this has changed my life. And <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> if something as easy as that is going to change your life, then that's not terrific. That is pretty cool. And I'm sure, <laughs> yeah, that's something... Cause like, is that like why people might get like tongue tied or um, maybe not enunciate, enunciate fairly well because of that? It, it's definitely one of the reasons. Yeah. You also might have physical reasons that are sort of beyond your control. So this little thing is called a frenulum. Yep. And some people have like their frenulum goes too far up their tongue. And so they actually can't stick out their tongue very far um, and there's, there's certain, they might have, um, other sort of physical manifestations like a lisp or something gotcha. like that. Uh, and, and there's ways to manage that as well. Um, some people were born with soft palates and that can sort of mm. change how sound works in their, in their, uh, in their face. There's, there's different things that, that, that you might deal with, but, but certainly, um, stretching out your tongue makes yeah. a huge difference for most people when they're, they go and they go to speak. I, I, I taught a, um, a high school class a uh, couple of December's ago. And one of the kids is like a, <laughs> like an aspiring rapper. Oh yeah. And he was like, <laughs> so excited because he That's could awesome. even like, he could go even more quickly. That's just, awesome. Like, ripping through stuff. Yeah. He was pretty pumped about <laughs> That's it. That's so cool. What is it? You actually yeah. like pull the tongue or something? I'm just, it just, I'm curious <laughs> how to stretch the tongue. That's yeah. Cool. I mean, I guess you could, yeah. I, you, be careful of getting tongue injuries. Yeah. That's something. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. I'd have to look into that for sure. And I, I'm, I'm curious because I see it like in the movies and stuff. And I don't know if necessarily if I've seen it in person, but like people warming up their voice, like doing la like the fa la la la. I mean, in choir, I guess we did a little bit, but like, uh, just saying different tongue twisters. Does that is that actually a technique that that more professional speakers do that 
to warm up? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, I mean, ahead of doing anything, I actually, I just sort of, um, I did a webinar last week about podcasting. Okay. So it's helping people figure out, you know, pe- people who would never have microphone technique, um, different things to think about. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I can, I can do that one yeah. later. Yeah, for sure. But, <laughs> no, no, I, not, not that you need it. You're doing really great. Well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> But there's things that you don't think about or know about. So things like um, plosives or, you know, like popping things into the microphone. But definitely ahead of any kind of speaking engagement, whether it's recorded like this or if you're getting up in front of a crowd, you definitely want to warm up your voice. And that's for a couple of reasons, uh, mostly to protect it. But Mm -hmm. also because it just it helps you loosen everything up and stretch everything out. And and when you do that, you get that resonance that you're looking for. And people really respond to resonance. And so you can you can feel it when you're speaking You can feel the vibrations in your lower back. Then, you know, you're sort of at your optimal resonance. And you can also okay. feel resonance on the top of your head. Gotcha. Um, you know, as you're as you're running through the different cadences of your voice you're learning how to use different surfaces to your advantage, but mostly having a really deep and resonant voice is appealing to people and you want people to be able to take in your message. Right. Yeah, for sure. And it's also healthy for your voice. It's the most healthy for your voice and it sounds the best to people. So it's like a a win-win situation. Definitely. Well, that's awesome. And I, again, I appreciate you coming on here and sharing. This is, this was something I was excited for. Uh, because of the benefit one, I could take from it <laughs> by listening uh-huh. to you and your information. But a lot of people probably out there dealing with the fear of speaking and um, hopefully being able to take some nuggets from this and going forward and improving and hopefully checking out um, what you put out there as well and getting involved with you. Um, before before I let uh, have you share where people can connect with you at, I like to ask one question that's based off pencil leadership. So a pencil is created to leave a mark. Um, on different services. And so uh, in regards to people, what would your mark that you leave when everything's said and done here be? What would your mark be? I am in this for a big reason. And I think the world needs change in a really big way. And I thought that before this, and especially so now. And I think that part of the problem is we've heard um, from uh, crushing voices Mm. and not from um, a lot of other voices. And so my biggest hope is to be able to give people the power to speak up and say what needs to be said so that we can move forward. We listen to new perspectives. We allow people to voice their opinions. And we give them the skills and tools that they need to be able to do that so that we start to approach things from a different way, that we're not looking at the world through the lens of who's got the biggest, loudest voice, Yeah. but who's not afraid to speak up and say what needs to be said. That's great. I, I love that. I love that goal and, and that vision because, yeah, so, so much good is on the other side of fear. And if people are scared to talk in front of people or um, in any sort of the fashion, yeah, we could be missing out on a whole lot of great information or leaders out there if, if they're just starting. Yeah. So thank you for that. Thank you for sharing and teaching people how to do that um, and making a difference. Um, 
So Thanks yeah, having me. yeah, no problem. Where can people connect with you at? Totally. Uh, so I'm on all the social media. Uh, and so it's UBU, the letters UBU skills. So I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter. And I have a website. It's www.ubuskills.com. And I'm always thrilled to answer questions. So you can always email me directly. And it's Megan, M-E-G-A-N at ubuskills.com. Awesome. Well, we appreciate it, Megan, again, for sharing and being on. Um, I know you're busy. So um, again, thanks for being on Pencil Leadership. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's show. If you enjoyed it, share this with someone else and make a positive impact on their life. Also, head on over and leave a five-star rating if you liked anything you heard today. And let me know what you think so I can make this show better for you in the future. And go ahead and connect with me on Instagram at chris.t.anderson. Love to hear from you. Now let's go out and make a difference as pencil leaders.